Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, my friends out there in Blog Talk Radio land. want to welcome you to this first Saturday in February. Hope you are excited about February. It's the month of love, Black History Month. We know we have Valentine's Day coming up. And then all this month, Black History Month. So every day you can learn something different that uh, somebody of African-American descent did to help this country and the world. There are so many things it would take years to capture and share it all. But we want to welcome you this month uh, to today to our February the 3rd off-the-shelf show. And I want to start with this thought from Amelia Earhart. She's one of my hair heroines, my number one heroine is Harriet Tubman. But the thought for today's show is the most difficult thing is the decision to act. The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. You know, we talk ourselves out of, we keep reading books, we go to seminars, we take trainings, we go to therapy, we talk to our family and our friends, we go to church, we read scriptures, we do positive affirmations, we set goals, and we don't take any action. The most difficult thing is a decision to act. Okay, you've done all your research, you've compiled all this data, now it's time to make a decision on what you're going to do. So the most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. That's something that might really bless you this week as you as you go through the week. If there's something you've been struggling to make a decision about or to take action on and you're confused as to why you're not seeing any results, maybe it's time to take some action. Uh, and I'm, I think our guest just joined us. I sent her a reminder uh, to, to to log into to today's to this morning's show. So, but we want to welcome you to our our first Saturday, February the third show, and we encourage you to go tell your friends, your colleagues, everybody to tune into Off the Shelf. It's every Saturday morning at eleven a.m. We have shows in the archive, and there got to be well over a hundred shows because we've been on the air now for thirteen years. 13 years. So anybody who loves books, we've had small business owners on. Women who have gone through things, as our guest today is one of those women, and they've overcome, and now they can, not only are they empowered, but they can empower others, and they can shave so many years and heartache off of your experiences. I, I heard this quote by Anthony Robbins years ago. You can either learn everything the hard way, and it take you decades to get the lessons. Or you can listen to somebody else who's gone through it and shorten that that lesson for yourself maybe down to one day instead of 30 years. I think that's practicing great self-love to do something like that. So before we go into today's show, which I, I, I want to start by asking you a question, are you ready to stop hurting? So that's the question I want to ask before we go into the show. I also want to ask you, again, are you ready to stop hurting? And also, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you love mystery, friendships, and love? Love doesn't just come with sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. Love is between a parent and a child, and that's actually the first experience of it that we learn, and it goes with us throughout our lives. Do you feel loved? Maybe it's because you didn't feel loved when you were a kid because of how you perceived something. If your parent frowned a lot at you, you might think, I'm not really accepted, even though that not, might not be why they were frowning, but that might be the way you perceived it and interpreted it. That will follow you everywhere you go in life. It will follow you everywhere you go until you deal with it and let it go. So the power of forgiveness of letting the past go. If you value these things and if you're ready to stop hurting, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me right now. You can get it in print or ebook. This book, I think, may change your life as you see what happens to Raymond Clark, especially if you see yourself, honestly, in Raymond's struggles or you see yourself in Brenda or Raymond's father. 
it might help you to awaken and decide to forgive and let something you need to let go, let go. Love pour over me. The ebook is like three dollars, three dollars and I think three cents. The lowest I've seen it at Amazon. You can get in print or ebook format. Amazon.com, ebook.com, Barnes and Noble. You can go to chistel.com, c h i s t e l l.com. If you don't see it on the bookstore shelves or the library. Just tell the clerk you want to order a copy of Love Pull Over Me by Denise Turney. I really, really, really encourage you to get a copy. Reading it, I think, is going to do a lot more than entertain you. And then let me know how you enjoy Love Pull Over Me. And now we have come to that wonderful, wonderful time. I'm going to go get our author. I have to tell you, when I was researching for the interview, uh, she's done a phenomenal work. And she continues to do a phenomenal work. When you see where she started from, I hope you will be encouraged, inspired, motivated, and walk away empowered. Joyce, are you there? Hello, Joyce. Joyce Reed? Nope, not Joyce Reed. Oh, no, Joyce Reed. Thank you. I'm just a caller. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm waiting on the author. I've reached out to her, and and she is she as I was saying, I thought that was her. As I was saying, she has done a phenomenal work. Uh, she had a, a fashion show here in Atlanta, and I'm going to see if I can catch her again. Um, I've reached out to her. This morning, one thing before I go on, as I'm still trying to connect with Joyce Reed, send her an email. Um, this is something I've had another guest say, and I want to say it again. I've experienced this myself. You have always got to be ready for come what may. You need a backup to a backup to a backup plan, and that's not just uh, if you're in entertainment, radio, television, etc. That's even in your daily life, on your job, because that, that first plan might not work. It might not work, so you have to have a backup to a backup plan. Um, and I don't know what happened with uh, our guest today. She did confirm on Tuesday, so let me see if I can reach her again. Um, I don't like silence on the radio. Apologies to our listeners. We have people who listen in off the shelf from all over the world. Um, so I, I send my apologies to you. Hopefully she will connect soon. I don't know what happened. We had a guest once uh, on the show who had a flat tire, and she ended up pulling over on the side of the interstate and doing um, her feature interview. So I don't know what happened with Joyce uh, this morning. What I'm going to do... Uh, while I'm waiting for Joyce, is I'm going to share some tips. Got to always have, got to always be ready for come what may. I'm going to share some tips for those of you. Um, some with the topic that she's going to discuss, which is making the decision that it's time to stop hurting. You're, you're ready to stop hurting. You're ready to move forward. So some tips, and this is coming from some other guests we've had on. Now our guests are, have not all been dealing with. Uh, emotional pain, whether it's sexual abuse, which is really hot in the news right now, or domestic violence. They haven't all dealt with these things. We have authors on, best-selling romance authors, different writers you see on the New York Times best-selling list, the Essence best-selling list. We've been blessed here with great authors. But some some of our guests have written stories that deal with abuse and overcoming overcoming abuse and really hard things that they dealt with in their childhood or as as an adult. And one one thing is to learn to recognize the signs that somebody even though they they are right now 
seems so very wonderful. They're treating you to meals and gifts and flowers. But you have to look for the signs that that might be concealing a very serious problem under the surface. Uh, the way the, if that somebody treats you really good, but they 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 cuss the waiter or the parking attendant. They have a short fuse when they're standing in a grocery store line. That's you don't turn away from that. That's really happening. You're really witnessing that, and that could turn not that the person wants it to one day on you. They they may not want it to, but it's something going on that they need to resolve so that they don't do that. So pay attention to the signs, as Maya Angelou said. When people tell or show you who they are, believe them. Believe them when they tell or show you who they are. Let me see if our guest has joined us now. Joyce? Yes, I'm here. Okay, we've been on about, I guess, about 11 minutes. So I want to thank you for dialing in. I had just started to go through a few tips for people to look for uh, to to practice self-care, uh, to signs that they might be dating somebody who is an abuser. Uh, but I'm going to go now and introduce you to our, our guest. I thank you for coming in. Um, as I told our, our audience, you have to be prepared for come what may. It might not go the way you intended it to, but you better have a second and third and fourth backup plan to keep it moving forward. So I want to thank you for joining us. And, and so I want to introduce our guest to you, and our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Joyce Reed. And Joyce is the founder of Hurt to Heal. It's a nonprofit organization that offers a voice to people who have experienced abuse, something that I was starting to go through, some of the signs to look for. And she writes for Walker's Legacy and a Destiny's Daughter of Promise, She's also a Destiny's Daughter of Promise Mentor. Uh, Joyce is the author of the books Hurt, You Still Live Here, and Speechless No More. Organizations that she has spoken at or helped others through include Valdosta State University, Life Safe Resources, and College Girls Rock. And you can visit Joyce Reed online at www.iamyourvoice.com. And that's spelled I M I A M U R V O I C E dot com. Again, that's I A M U R V O I C E dot com. We are so honored to have her with us, and we already got one lesson. Have that backup plan in place. But we are honored to have Joyce Reed here with us this morning on Off the Shelf. And we want to welcome, welcome, welcome you to Off the Shelf, Joyce. For having me, and my apologies. My apologies, but thank you for having me. I, I, as I was, uh, we're we're happy to have you here. As I was saying at the start of the show, thirteen years into mm-hmm. off the shelf, and I never thought I'd do my own radio show. I got this show through Neil Blake, and he's worked with t- several different TV stations. Anyway, he has his own radio show, uh, and I just wanted to interview to to discuss my first novel, Portia. He said, Why don't you start your own radio show? And I never it never even crossed my mind. Thirteen years later, we're still doing off the shelf and we've we've interviewed some guests uh, that come on CNN, T uh, T V one and it's just been an honor, an absolute honor. Wow. So we're we're glad to add you to that list of guests. But as I tell people, you better always be prepared for the unexpected. Uh, that's just that's just the truth. You never know what's going to happen. But before we go mm-hmm. into today's qu- questions, Joyce, I'm going to ask you about three mm-hmm. or four questions that we ask every single guest on Off mm-hmm. the Shelf, just so our listeners can get to know you and get some backstory on you before we launch into the questions about your books and your work. So the first question on deck, Joyce, is if you could tell Off the Shelf listeners where you grew up, and what life was like for you growing up. I grew up in, on the south side of Chicago. Um, life for me growing up was, um, it was difficult. Um, it wasn't all difficult, um, but facing different things at a, at a young age and not um, understanding and not having that person to um, guide me and help me 
um, it was very difficult. I've experienced things that I don't want anyone to ever experience at that young age, you know, starting at nine years old. Um, I've experienced while I was living in Chicago, I've experienced um, six deaths in a year in my family. I've experienced um, my father raping me at 12. I've experienced um, mm. seeing dead bodies, um, being raised by um, guys in, in gangs and um, selling drugs. And um, just, and that's just some of the things that I, you know, had to deal with and had to do it on my own, having both of my children out of rape um, the first one, 14, I was 14 years old, and not even understanding. So um, that's just a little bit about the things that I experienced. And the reason why I'm doing this and why I'm so passionate about it is because if I know what I, what I know now, if I knew what I know now back then, I don't think um, a lot of things would have happened. So just raising awareness is one important thing um, as far as my passion. Wow. You know how many people would have just, what you've gone through, they either would have acted out very negatively and either done a lot of self-harm or, because you got, you got to express what you're experiencing. I don't think it's impossible. We all as humans are going to express it. We're either going to internalize it and we're going to start to hurt ourselves with either addictions, a self-cutting, becoming suicide, whatever we go through, it's got to express itself. It's either going to do it Mm -hmm. internally or externally. Some people become very artistic and creative, but it's expressing Mm -hmm. itself or journaling, and then some people hurt other people. It's got to express itself. And I think that's something when we are interacting with each other to keep in mind what we do to other people and make other people feel, it's, it's going to express itself. So make them yes. feel loved. So and instead of uh, the other, it's going to express itself. It's going to. What did you dream of becoming when you were a kid, Joyce? Um, I you wanted were young, to be. Yeah, when I was younger, um, I always loved like computers. Um, I knew I wanted to do something in computers, and then as I got older, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I didn't do any of those things. <laughs> I actually went to school for accounting, um, and I didn't I didn't find out who I really wanted to be until I was like 29. You know, recently I didn't know that me writing in journals since I was eight years old that I would be a writer. It's like God put things in front of you, um, but it's you that have to find your passion and you know, and see what he's trying to tell you. Like, my book is based on my journals that I wrote in from 9 to 29. I didn't know that I would be a writer. I didn't know that I would like to write, and I still write to this day. So um, I guess he had other plans for me. Okay, okay. So (laughs) the writing was something you sort of stumbled upon then? You said you didn't have a plan. You liked working with computers. It sounded like it was Mm -hmm. something. There was, like, no big inspiring event or a person who really inspired you to have a love for books? No, no one inspired me. Again, I was lost as a young girl. I wasn't guided, so I didn't know. The only thing I knew was that I needed to survive for that day. I didn't know tomorrow if I would get, you know, shot at again. I've been shot at a lot of times. You know, I didn't know that I would live. So I couldn't think ahead. I was always thinking in the moment. I need to survive today, right now, because I used to pray. A lot of people would pray, you know, when I get older, I want to do this. I want to have this. I want to marry this person. For 365 days, I didn't pray those things. I prayed that God would take my life. I prayed that I would not, mm. I would, I felt, I felt worthless. I felt used. I just felt like I was a waste of space on this earth. So I wanted to, I wanted to end my life. I tried to commit suicide three times. So, being like thinking about what was going to happen five years from now, I wasn't at that mindset because I didn't know how. So I was praying that my life would end versus me praying for the things that I want. Okay, in a lot of pain, in a, in a lot of pain. 
Uh, and that's, uh, I, I get it. I, I do get it. So similar to the little girl Celie in Alice Walker's book, The Color Purple, I know you wrote about your experiences actually living as a child, and that might have been a way for you to express what you had experienced mm-hmm. as well. I just find, like, the, the now the fictional character Alice Walker is a powerful writer, but Celie is a fictional character even I just saw Color Purple on TV a few weeks ago. That story still always partly hurts to know that she went through that. It's just like as a child to go through that, an adult is not awakened enough to see how much damage that they're, they're, they're causing someone. They're just being so absorbed in their own wants. I just find it remarkable that, like Seedley, you also chronicled your 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 experiences, especially even the trauma, traumatic ones. And unlike Celia, as I said, your story is real. You actually lived through these experiences that you wrote about and her used to live here. What do you think, looking back, Joyce, inspired you to write down your experiences journaling, kind of like Celia? She was like, dear God, excuse us every day, dear God, what what do you think inspired you as you were going through this to actually write it down? Well, I think well what happened was when I was younger, me and my mom, um she was there financially, um and how I would how we would communicate is through writing. Like she worked three jobs to take care of her family. Um and I get that now. But if I needed anything, I would always slide a note under her door. And then in the morning, I will always get a response on my bathroom mirror. So that's how I started writing. Wow. And, um, yeah, and, I, and like I said, I wouldn't have known that that was just my first step to even um, tapping into uh, my purpose. And I used to talk to my brother, which he was my everything. Um, we talked about every. We talked about everything. And when he was taken away. Um, for me at a really young age, I couldn't, there was no other way but to start like writing, writing more and just expressing myself because I held some things in and I hurt people. So yeah, that's how, that's how wow. I started. And I didn't even know. Yep. Oh my goodness. That's <laughs> a new one here. That's a new one. Interesting. Everybody has a story. Thank you for sharing that. How how did writing, when you did start to journal, I know it started, mm-hmm. you passed notes to your mom. That's still that connection, mm-hmm. how you were, it's almost like a part of you was taking care of you to let you express mm-hmm. it. How did writing about your experiences, how did that help you for those who might be going through something difficult now? Somebody could be going through something difficult. Like I recently lost my son. Somebody could be going through something mm-hmm. difficult like that, or somebody mm-hmm. could it could be a, a traumatic relationship, a, a divorce, mm-hmm. a job loss, and now mm-hmm. they they don't really have any idea how they're going to pay their rent or their mortgage, uh, health crises. Mm-hmm. We could go on and on with the hard things people go through. Yeah. But you mm-hmm. might say something today that makes the difference in somebody's life. So how did writing about your experiences, how did that help you, Joyce, to actually move through the pain as a child and a young adult? It helped me because as I write down um, how I felt, I sometimes, um, that was a one, my form of therapy. That was one, you know, because I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have anyone to go to. So I wrote things down. If it was just a small feeling, if this was me waking up in the middle, middle of the night to go use the bathroom and write something down and to look back when you were finally at that place where you could say, I made it through, and to look back and read everything that you wrote on this day, on Saturday, this is how I felt. Like, I never want to be in this place again. What can I do to not be in this place again. Every experience that you go through is a learning experience, bad or good. So now, still to this day, I still write. And I may, you know, I'm not always happy, jolly. I'm not always inspirational. I'm I'm human. It's sometimes uh, I'm down. But I write those things down, and I come back to it and say, I never want to be like this again, ever. It just motivates me more to keep pushing. Everybody is going to go through times where you just want to give up and you just want to stop. 
but you have to I have to look I have to say to myself I don't want to do I don't want to be here I, I it could be worse everybody has like you say everyone has a story but it, it could be I mean it could be worse you know I've been homeless I've lived in a car with my children you know and, and I look at my journals and how I felt at that moment it's just like I stood strong even though I knew that one day it will get better, but it's like you always want to know what what day, when is this going to get better? Am I going to wake up again and still be homeless? Mm. Like when is it going to happen? But God puts things in your life for a reason. He doesn't give you anything that he knows that you cannot handle. If I, I say today, right now, if I knew that I would be sitting here right now motivating, empower pe- empowering people, inspiring people to also share their story, I would go back and relive every single part of my life if I knew today that I would be wow. a and help other people. Wow, now that's powerful. That's powerful. Can you give us a brief synopsis, Joyce, of, of your book, Hurt Used to, Heal, Used to Live Here? How, when do you start? Uh, uh, sharing your experiences, how old are you when the book begins, and can you take us up to, like, did, 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 does the book go through maybe up to two years ago, or when How when does it start, how old are you, like, like you, are you five or eight, and then how far do, do you go through before the book ends? So my book is um, is based on a true story. It's it's from the ages of nine to twenty nine. I'm thirty six. It goes from nine to twenty nine, and I talk about the things that I've experienced. My actual journal inserts are in the book, um, and I put you in a place how I when I put you in a place where I was, how I felt, um, how I overcame it. Um, I, I take you through all of my struggles. I talk about the six times I was raped and molested. Um, I talk about um, the time that when my father did rape me, um, how I went to the police and they basically didn't do anything. Um, I talk about how I rebelled, talk about how I hurt people, um, and I also talk about the third time that I committed suicide. Well, tried to commit suicide, I'm sorry. I attempted to, to commit suicide and I took 40 pills and I laid down in the closet um, while the people were coming into our apartment to evict us. Um, and I had nowhere to go. So I said, I just want to leave this, I just want to leave this earth. So it's three times the charm, as people say, so this is my third time, so I know it's going to happen. I know God is going to take my life. I just want to be with my brother. This is what I'm thinking in my mind. Um, and so I couldn't go to sleep. So what I did was I got in the car and tried to drive me and my kids off the cliff. Something wow. took over me. I don't. I, I've always. I believe in God. I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. I, I believe that there is a, there was a higher power, but I just didn't understand why would God allow this to happen to me, one person, to to carry to carry these kids at 14 and 19 on my own to be in a household where I've never heard the word I love you. I've never been held before. How could God allow all of this to happen to me? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why can't I just leave this earth? That's all I want to do. Why? Why me? But now today I say, why not me? I'm not ashamed of anything that I've been through. Nothing. I'm I'm not ashamed to say that I was surrounded by people that I thought loved me, my friends and family. I didn't I didn't think that the friends that I thought were my friends at that time would drug me and gang rape me. I'm not ashamed of anything that I've been through because if how can I be ashamed? It it wasn't my fault. I can't be ashamed of my story because my story would inspire someone else, would motivate someone else to share their story. And I mean, and it's happening every 98 seconds. Someone is being assaulted. Since 98, 17.7 million people have been assaulted, but you don't hear about it because 89% do not go to the police because they are afraid, because they are ashamed. People don't talk about it because they are embarrassed because people will judge them. People say rape. Rape is rape. People want to say, well, no, he just fondled me. No, he raped you. If you do not give consent to someone, he raped you. When you are in the midst of having um, or about to have sex with someone, you say no, no means no. No does not mean convince me. No does not mean persuade me. 
no means no, rape is rape. Wow. I, you know what? You made that plain, and that's true. And then uh, I know my son, before he passed, he would tell me that sometimes guys read into things, and they'll say, I know she wants me. or And the woman ain't even thinking about you. And and But rape is an act of violence. The sexual harassment could come from, I know she wants me, even though the woman's like, I, I, you're the last thing I want. And But rape is violence. That's control. I'm going to mm-hmm. dominate you. I'm going to get what I want. Nobody's going to stop me. And then that's a person who's very sick. When you see what really drives it, it's not sex. I think as long as people keep thinking rape has to do with sex, they won't see how traumatic it is. It's about power and control and violence. I'm going to dominate you. Nobody's going to stop me. I'm going to get whatever I want. It's almost like breaking in somebody's house, except you you are assaulting another human being. Nobody's going to stop me. Nobody's going to stop me. That's the attitude of it. I'm going to get what I want. I don't care what I have to do to get it either. But you're right. Rape, rape is rape. There ain't no gray areas there. When you mention judging, this is something I think keeps a lot. When I see these sexual harassment stories, I'm like, oh, my God, this person did this for decades, and nobody ever even said anything, or a few people did. They were silenced, and it just kind of went away. Why do you think people are so ashamed to say this person put their hands on me and I didn't want them to. Why do you think that we judge and assume we judge each other harshly and none of us is qualified to do that? But we also assume we know so much about people. We know so much about our colleagues. We know so much about our neighbors. We know so much about our relatives. Now we think we have enough information to judge them. I don't like her. I just don't like him. He's this way. She's that way. When in actuality, we know so very little about each other. What do you think drives us as humans to just, uh, we, I know enough to be able to judge you, when we know so little mm-hmm. about each other? I think that um, some people, I mean, I don't, let me, hmm, that's a good question because, I, I mean, I've, I've judged people, I've been judged, you know, um, and I guess it's, uh, I guess the environment that we're in, but then, um, like, for instance, the other day I was listening to 94.5, and young Jock was on there, and he was saying how the young lady from Russell Simmons, um, why does she come out now, and she's just doing it for the money, and it's just like, to hear him say that, it's like, one, that's just not cool, one. Because that right there, her in a place where, one, she's in a, she's she's experiencing trauma. So you judging her and saying, why is she coming out and trying to figure out, like, that's, that's like traumatizing her. Like, regardless on what happened, it's just like rich or poor. Like, like I keep saying, rape is rape. So you can't continue to, like, judge people because you, you really don't know. So it also allows other people to not want to say anything. And like I expressed, it's like a domino effect. It's like when he has money, he can get a lawyer and no one will ever hear about it. But that one person got prosecuted, it's like a domino effect. So everybody else is coming out, well, I see that this, they are really doing something about this, so I'm going to say something right now. But it's like we're still, we're, they're still judging us, and they're still saying, well, you know, she wasn't raped. It's like, how do you know that you was not there? Why not support her, guide her, give her the help that she needs instead of judging her? Because it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, uh, people are listening. You have millions of followers, and people are listening. So you have to, you know, be cautious of that because, you, it, I mean, it, it's just hard. It's a hard situation to even want to even say something. Like, people don't even say nothing because of that reason, because they just are afraid that they're going to be judged. Like, no one believed me when I went to court. Like, they just gave up. Like, it was a sexual assault. And when I was of age, of 18, I brought the case back up. And they, they gave him two years. I gave my father two years supervision, and they dropped it to a battery. And after the five more times that I was raped, it's like, why say something? No one cared. Yeah, they're gonna judge me. And I think that. So. Yeah, that might yeah. be why so many people they hear other people's stories and they say it's not worth it. But I think like right now, as it get, these types of things gain momentum, 
uh, like the Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. That that I don't know how many years of hard work that took, but as it gains momentum, the Amber Alerts. Uh, it could take years of just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, but then something will start to take effect. It could it could take years, 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 years. Now your mother's boyfriend Billy did what I've heard other men do. There actually was a story on I don't know if it was I saw it on Amazon uh America Online where this woman was engaged to this guy and she had these dogs. Now the dog and a human are totally different. But the, her dog started acting funny like it was scared and she didn't know what what was doing it causing it. So she put some hidden cameras in her home and mm-hmm. her fiance saw when she was, the dog was alone with him, he was abusing that dog, being very violent with it. And then she said she broke off the uh, the the engagement, but that went like viral and it was almost concerning, like, oh my God, he was so loving to her but he was abusing her dog, but he seemed like such a wonderful guy. So this is similar. Ella Kuja wrote about it in his autobiography. His mother's boyfriend mm-hmm. would take him in the basement and beat him up. And so this guy, Billy, your mother's boyfriend, he waited mm-hmm. similarly until your mother left the house for work, and then he abused or disciplined you and your brother. Mm-hmm. How did you and your siblings get out of that situation? How did you come out of that trap? He died. Oh, okay. That was that. Yeah, he he passed away. Um, you know, we we tried to you know tell my mom, but of course, you know, she had to. You know, she was there financially, so she was always at work. And as soon as she would walk out that door, he would beat us every single day. We tried to run away. Um, we tried to um, tell people, but it's like no one no one listened. And he eventually passed away. Um, I had to go to his funeral. Um, and that that that's how that ended. I don't think that it would have ended if he didn't pass away. Oh, okay, okay. So that's yeah. how that went. What what yeah. can mothers do, Joyce, to protect their children from these types of situations? What what can they do? Not only be a parent, but be a protector. Um, have that relationship with your children where they come to you first. Don't allow other people to um to tell them things um and be there like not only I raise my children to talk to me about anything I also raise my kids to be street smart as well you have to always be aware of your surroundings some sometimes you have to um just prepare yourself for anything um people that you think are your friends um, may not be your friends. When someone show you who they are, believe them. Um, but mm-hmm. it has to come from your home. Um, it has to come from parenting. Like it's not a handbook on parenting. But I raised my kids how I didn't, how I was not raised. So I love all my kids. I'm, I open up to my children. My children know everything about me. They know about the book. They know all about the experiences, you know, that I faced, and they were there while we you know, was in some, you know, struggles. So I talk to my kids. My kids, we we have that relationship, not a friendship, but we have that relationship to where if someone is trying to persuade them to do something, they know automatically, no, this is not right. They know that they are leaders and not followers. So my children are always aware of anything that may happen because they're boys, um, they're teenagers. Well, my son, he's my oldest, is 20. But it's like you just have to be there, talk to them, ask them, how was your day today? What's going on in your life? Is there anything you want to talk about? Go out with your kid. Do things that um, that you will want to do um, and just give them that love, love on them, tell them you love them. I go upstairs and I pray over my kids um, while they're asleep. I, I love on them. I give them hugs. Like I just love on them. That's just something I did not have in my children. We just have that relationship, and it's a great relationship because they tell me everything. Oh, that's wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> have Have you, um, I wanted to ask you, have you reconciled your mother's need to work so hard that she wasn't there with you and your siblings when you were growing up? Have you reconciled that within yourself and with your mom? Yes, I did. Um, I wrote I wrote a letter um, to my mom. And it wasn't about her reading it. I don't know if she read it, 
but it was just that me getting getting it off of my chest and forgiving her because um, I grew up trying to understand why, 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 why was she like this? Why did she do this? It's like what it was doing was hurting me and affecting me in a way that um, was affecting my household as well. And so I had to, um, I had to really like you go deep, deep, deep into me and my spiritual self and say, why not forgive her? I have to forgive her. We have a great relationship now. And um, and I'm not judging her on what she did or what she didn't do. I'm, I'm loving on her now for the person that she is. And, you know, just forgiving. It's hard. It does not happen overnight. Um, I just recently forgiven my mom a few years ago. So uh, we're still in the process of building that relationship. But I forgive her for everything that happened in my life, um, things she didn't do. So just forgiving and letting and really actually letting it go and moving. Because when you don't forgive people, it's hard to um, to walk in your purpose, to find out who you are, and you have to forgive so you can be forgiven because we all make mistakes. We all sin. We all do things that we shouldn't do, and and I don't want to allow anybody to control my feelings, to control my emotions. I will never, ever give anyone that power again. Okay. Uh, and I wanted to ask you this because this, this helped me uh... – uh, growing up myself, how did making decisions that you later regretted? Cause sometimes it's not until you become a parent that you start to can forgive your parents. When you go through something yourself, that's really when you you know what it's about. Not look, not outside looking in. You're not. You're never going to know, even if you think you do. But how did making decisions that you later regretted, your own mistakes, help you to forgive your mom, or or, or and or your father? Again, this is something that might help one of our listeners. One of the things that helped me, um, I had to realize that, um, again, I'm not perfect. So um, I had to understand that I also make mistakes. And it was a time that I told my son something that my mom told me and my father told me before. um, And it affected me. And I'm just like, I, I feel like I'm being a hypocrite because I see it, not to this day, but um, I've always wanted to ask my mom, and I've never asked her, did she really mean what she said when she told me that she was in the process of getting an abortion and walking into that clinic, and she wished she would have got that abortion? And I didn't say the same thing to my son, but I said similar, and it hurt him. And that's when I'm like, I just can't, I can't, like, I just can't, I can't do that. Like, that's, that's not, it's not right. Um, and it hurt me. So, you know, I asked my son to forgive me. Um, and he, you know, he forgave me. I just, you know, again, we, we pray. Um, and that's just, like I said, we, we're all human. And I just never, you know, it, it's just hard to, you know, forgive. And I just recently forgave my father, you know, after talking, you know, after 20, 20 something years, I haven't talked to this man. And when I thought I forgave him, um, I, I talked to him on the phone and he said, you know, he apologized. I'm sorry. He's crying. He's like, I'm blind in one eye. I can't read, blah, blah, blah. And I let him know, like, this is not about you. This is, this has everything with just to do with me and forgiving you. And two months later to that day, he passed away. He had a heart attack because he mentioned on the phone, he said, I read the letter that you have in the book, um, and it, everything in me wanted to die so you can live in peace. He died two months later at that exact day, and that's when I thought that I forgave him, and I really didn't. Because if I, was, if I would have forgiven him, I wouldn't have drank the whole bottle of wine and celebrated his death. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I have to realize, and he, like, I, don't for, I didn't forget, you know, I did not forgive this man. But now I can say I forgive him, and I want him to protect us, watch over us, guide us. Like, I, I honestly can now say today that I forgive him because everyone, make everyone hurt, hurt, like you said, hurt people, hurt people. So it's just a different form of him hurting um, people. Yeah, you know what, and it can take a while. And it is, it's, it's better to go to it authentically than to pretend you've, you've, you've forgiven or you're over something, but you're really not because it can catch you at the most inopportune 
moment if you if you're really not not over it. Now, George, how soon after you published "Hurt Used to Heal," "Hurt Used to Live Here," did you write "Speechless No More"? Well, "Speechless No More" um, is still in the process. Um, I'm still collecting letters. Um, so Speechless No More came from my first book. And so I, I received so many emails, so many phone calls, text messages and said, you inspired me to tell my story. So I just wanted it to be not more so about me in my second book. I wanted it to be about others and them embracing their struggle and them understanding that they're not in that place anymore. And my, like I said, my form of therapy was writing. So I'm allowing people to write their truth um, and release it. So the second book is Speechless No More. It's time we tell our story. And so I'm allowing people to share their story um, and just releasing it. So it will be out this year. Um, I'm still collecting letters. I have 10 letters thus far, and I just want it to be about um, inspiring other people as well. So. Let me ask you this: when you when you read the letters and when you're out on the road with hurt used to heal, hurt used to mm-hmm. live here, and talking to mm-hmm. people, do you what do you see come up the most common of the silent secret crimes? Is it like sexual harassment that's from somebody outside your family, or do you see it more sexual harassment or sexual abuse from within the family that the person has the most shame around and keeps secret and silent about the most often. Hear about majority of the um, things that I hear when I speak. It's always the people that they know. Um, most of the time, oh. people come to me and say, "I've I've never shared this story before." So I think the statistic rate is ninety three percent of assaults are from people that they know because they feel more comfortable with that person. You know, when people will say, well, I was raped, people mostly think that it's like the movies. Someone jumps out of yeah. a bush, a stranger jumps out of a bush, and they grab you and rape you. It's more so the people that know you because they have you in that they're, they're comfortable with you, and you wouldn't think that they would, you know, do anything. Like, I get calls, you know, a lot. Recently, I just received a call two two and a half weeks ago from a victim, and she said that she was, you know, friends with this guy that she was working with, and she knew him. Like, they were, you know, they were cool. New Year's Eve, he drugged her and raped her. And it's like, and this man has children. He's married. Um, He's in Atlanta. And I, me and my 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 organization, yeah, he's a big promoter. Um. And me and my organization, you know, me, the organization, we did everything that we could. We called Atlanta Police Department. We called Fulton Police Department. I've called um, uh, for sexual assault um, advocates in Fulton County, which there's none. Um, it's one, which is Grady, and they're being sued. Um, and I've even called 911, and everyone told me the same exact thing. If she does not know where she was raped, we cannot file a police report. Oh, okay. That's just, I mean, and she's like, I give up. He's just going to get away with it, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Everyone's talking to me like I'm dumb, and they're just like, they're like pushing her. Well, go to Cobb County. Um, it's nothing we can do. It's like us, like, what are we going to do to help these people? It's like it's happening, but who can we go to? Who can we trust? You, you thought you could trust the, the police to do something. It's just like what do we do? What do we like, wow. what do? We do? <laughs> now, how can we empower children and ourselves, men and women, to speak out instead of accepting abuse? So as soon as it happens, boom, we speak out. Now, you just shared a story where this woman was mm-hmm. drugged. She's speaking out. She's trying to get help, and she's coming up against these closed doors. But what are some other mm-hmm. – that's definitely one way. What are some other ways uh, that we can speak out after it happens and protect ourselves uh, potentially, so we don't become a victim of abuse. So one, if if anyone has been assaulted, you have five days to go and get a rape kit complete. You can go to any um, emergency room if you don't feel safe. You can find a sane um, location, and and that's a sexual assault um, nurse examiner. She 
um, you're in a you're in a place where you're not exposed to a lot of people, um, and police come there, and that's one way. Um, if you don't want to say anything, like, it takes time. Like the first forty eight hours, it's like you're just still in shock. Like what just happened? You know, and you don't want to be in a place. Some people just don't want to be in a place where they just being questioned and interrogated. You know, they and they just don't they just don't go. But I advise people to if you have been assaulted or attacked or you know you know raped or anything I advise people to go and get a rape kit done because without that evidence it's like it's hard to um to do anything and then I also I do self-defense classes as well on how to protect yourself um and that's uh, that's on my um, website as well I have self-defense products um that helps and they passed a bill where college students are allowed to carry um, tasers on campus and just, you know, I'd show people how to use the tasers and not just be tasing people for no reason. It's just to protect yourself. But just, you, ha- you have to say something because if you don't, even though you feel ashamed and embarrassed about what just happened, if you don't feel comfortable with telling your friends or your family, just call someone, call a hotline. There's so many resources now um, that you can go and get help. And, you know, and college students need to be more involved because they're trying to pass a law that if you do tell someone and you just say, well, I just want a rape kit done, can you just, you know, have it to where when I'm ready to prosecute him, I can. So now they're trying to pass a law to where you have no choice. And the person can be your your mother's boyfriend and you're living with him, you have nowhere to go and you're 15 years old, and it's like they're going to prosecute him without your say, period. So college students need to be more involved, um, you know, to vote on that and know, you know, who your senators are, making phone calls and know your rights and know what laws are trying to be being passed because that right there is like evading someone's privacy. One, I have the courage to come out and say something, but now you're going to force me to press charges when I'm not mentally ready right now. So that's something that, um, yeah, and I, when I learned that, I was like, Wow, and then there's another law that someone tagged me in the other day just basically saying people would get away with um, molesting people if they had a mental illness, basically. If they were mentally ill, they would get away with raping or molesting someone that's under the age of 18. Yeah, I saw a story about a guy who was Mm -hmm. blind to, yeah, a a story. Yeah, that's that's, no, that doesn't, mm -mm. what what was it like? And I thank you for that that tip on that rape kit that got five days, and then also five you want to you do want to report and and remember as many details as possible. That's if anything would have happened. The more details you can remember, write them down. If you can yep. take a if you got a cell phone, picture. take a picture of the, somebody's license plate or of their person. Those types of things are very very helpful. Uh, so thanks for sharing those tips. What was it like, Joyce? We, we're coming down to our last seven minutes. But what was it like putting together the Speechless No More Fashion Show in Atlanta in 2016? What was that experience like? Oh, my God. That was like, it was so stressful. I mean, people, you know, come to your event and it's like, you know, it's like, oh, wow, it's beautiful. It's like, you have no idea. I wanted to pull my hair out of my head. I wanted to give up. Like, it's a lot to do an event. But it turned out to be amazing. So the fashion show was um, me. It wasn't so much of the fashion that was in the show. It was about me bringing my book to life. So it started out as a little girl and how I grew up into the woman I am uh, now. We had performances. Um, we had a, a dancer. It was like it was just amazing. It was emotional. My children were there to support me, and that was the biggest thing. Like my kids support me 100%, and I just I love it. It was like it was just um it was amazing like I lived in that moment for about two three weeks <laughs> so it was great. It was oh, amazing. that's awesome! So. All the work work <laughs> you put it put in and I saw the pictures and it really <laughs> looked like a fabulous uh, show. Do you plan on doing? I know you said it it really was covered your life, but do you plan on doing any more fashion shows or any more shows similar to what you put on in Atlanta two years ago? Yes, I am in April. The details will be coming up soon, so you can follow my uh, social media or go on my website, which is org or com. and we are planning 
it right now. And we're also, for the first time this year, we're doing an annual walk. So I'm excited about that as well. It's so much that we are doing to help raise awareness. Um, and like I said, we have um, classes that we do. We do workshops, you know, self-defense workshops, defining appropriate versus non-appropriate, you know, defending your voice and, um, you know, how to get assistance and um, finding the different forms of, of abuse, which is financially, sexual, um, verbal, and is it emotional? Emotional, yes. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited about um, that. So, and can you tell us about some of the other services that Hurt to Heal offers? You know, you're going to talk about the different forms of abuse. Are you going to be offering, uh, to like, to any bringing in any therapists, offering any counseling services, or I know on your website you have like. Um, uh, self-defense products, you've got your T-shirts, which I think is amazing. Are you going to be expanding that or, or, or take, taking it even more broader, uh, your Hurt, Hurt to Heal offers? Yes, I am. So every year I do a small tour where I go to different cities and states, and I stand in a place where there's a lot of traffic, and I stand there in my truth. My sign says, I was raped six times, I was beaten and left, for, and left for dead, but I now stand before you a survivor. I don't stand there and ask for money. It's just me standing there and speaking my truth. And I go to different, I go to Chicago, I was in New York, I was in North Carolina, South Carolina, and it just, you know, helped raise awareness. Like, people come up to me and just like, you know, my father raped me or my mom, you know, did this or my mom got me dressed. I, I even heard a story where her mom was getting her dressed for her boyfriend for years Ooh. and years, and you know, and you know, and and a part of it, and she's still married to him to this day. And it's just like the things that I hear, and it's just like, wow, when you think you have it bad or you had a rough life, um, that I do that, and as well, um, we just do. It's, it's like different things that we do, and I'm right now. I want to say within the next week. Um, or next week I am putting together a petition. So for the experience that I have and when people call, um, I want to open a center in Fulton County because there's none uh, where people can come. Um, I talk to a lot of college students. I'm always at Georgia State University. Students come to me and say, well, you know, when I reported it, you know, they expelled me. Or wow. I have nowhere to go. What do I, yeah, the things that, like, the things that I hear, it's like they have nowhere to go. The only place now is Grady Hospital. And it's like they're being sued because they did over 2,500 rape kits, and they bill all the victims. So they're being sued right now. Uh, so there's no place to even go. So that's my goal is to open up a center um, where they can go and get different resources, counseling, therapy. They can just come and just, be themselves and not be judged and know that everyone in this in the in in this community center is like me. We all have voices and regardless of what type of abuse it is, I raise awareness about all forms of abuse, not just rape. Mm. Can you tell us if you're on any social networks where people can find you online? Yes, I am on Facebook. My Facebook is author Joyce Reed. My Instagram is I am your voice. That's I A M U R voice. And my organization's website is underscore hurt to heal, the number two. Um, and you can find me on my you know, my website. I have a YouTube author Joyce Reed. Um, yeah, that's it. And where can our list off the shelf listeners get copies of your books? It is available on Amazon and as well as I'mYourVoice.com. Okay. We are uh, so happy to have had Joyce Reed, and this hour flew by as it generally does here on Off the Shelf. We're, we're happy that, that we had author Joyce Reed and activist, I'll say, with us here on Off the Shelf this morning. And Joyce is the founder of Hurt to Heal. It's a nonprofit organization that offers a voice to people who have experienced abuse. She also is the author of the book Hurt Used to Live Here, and she's putting together a new book, Speechless No More. Organizations mm -hmm. that she's worked with or helped others through include Valdosta State University, 
Live Safe Resources and College Girls Rock. You can visit Joyce Reed online at IamYourVoice.com, I-A-M-U-R-V-O-I-C-E.com. Again, that's I-A-M-U-R-V-O-I-C-E.com. We want to thank Joyce Reed for being here with us. I hope you'll go over to her website. And she has a lot of different things that she offers at her website. You can go over there and check those things out and learn more about her. And maybe you can even find some way that you can, the two of you can maybe partner and network together to help other people uh, uh, who have been abused and help people to heal. So thank you again to Joyce Reed and to our listeners. Please uh, make a note on your calendars. Tune in to Off the Shelf every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We'll bring you another great guest next Saturday. Again, remember, just jot it on your calendar, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you, Joyce, to our listeners. Remember, you are awesome. You're amazing. You're incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday. Joyce, I'll shoot you an email when the show finishes streaming. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you.